Coming up on the Front Page Football Podcast, Mariners continue their fine form while things for Perth and Western United are not looking good. We run the rule over Australia's Asian Cup campaign, all that and a lot more right after this. Welcome back to the Front Page Football Podcast. I am Cody Ojeda. For the last time in this little period, I will be hosting unless Christian so kindly grants me the opportunity to do it again. But until then, this will be the last time that I bless your ears on this podcast. You will be able to catch me on Front Page Dub soon, though. Cheeky plug, back with me today. We've got the crew again from last week. No changes, um... Same lineup. I guess we did well enough last week for everyone to retain their spots. Caden, Jake, Jake, I'll start with you. You back at home? Yes, I'm finally back at home. I, um, you know, I, I, I don't have to record on my phone and sort of have all my notes and like I have to switch between my notes and the Zoom meeting every single time. So it's, it's good to sort of have some normality. I've got a new mic now as well. So hopefully it all goes well. Yeah, you're coming through very clearly. It's very nice, very beautiful. Uh, Caden, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I've also got a new mic. Got that for Christmas, so that's been going well. And uh, yeah, ready to get stuck in to another round of A-League. Uh, we all, looks like we're all moving up in the world. New equipment. Caden, you sound a lot better as well. You're shaking off the illness? Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. All good now. All good. That's brilliant stuff. Let's get straight into this because it has been a crazy weekend of A-League action. We'll start with, as we did last week, our three points to kind of sum up, well, not necessarily sum up, but our three key takeaways from the A-League round just gone. Jake, I'll throw back to you your three points from the week that's just happened in the greatest competition in world football. Oh, I totally agree with that. Oh, my God, I love this league. But anyways, um, unfortunately, it's not unfortunate, I'd say, but I was like, oh, I don't want to make similar sort of points what I made last week, but I think I couldn't not in terms of Central Coast. Like, they just look legit. That was basically my point. Central Coast legit. Um, and for me, arguably, are the best team in the league right now, on form at least, with Melbourne Victory. I think they're, like, they're, we've seen it over the past couple of weeks with Mark Jackson. I think they're really cooking something. And, you know, it's you, you don't want to, you know, make a big call, say, you know, they can necessarily recreate exactly what Monty did with them, but they're looking really bloody good at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, then I made one on MacArthur. I said MacArthur's almost inevitable capitulation has seemingly came where they barely scraped a draw against you know, a, a decent Newcastle side, to be fair. But at home, you, you expect better from MacArthur, you know, sort of based on how they've gone. But yeah, I've, yeah, like I've sort of said a couple of times already, I've, I've been a bit iffy on MacArthur. I, you know, they've got some good results, but I just haven't seen, you know, I know Cody, you were, you know, for example, yeah, making some some predictions of that them being polar contenders. I was like, yeah, they have good signs to them, but yeah, I think we've sort of seen now maybe it's stabilized a little bit. Um, and then my final point is on Sydney. I think the the pieces there uh, are sort of finally starting to click together. You know, sort of what we saw in the Australia Cup. They had a lot of really really good pieces, especially in that attack. And it was a matter of finding all those pieces together. Like, yes, they did it against the. A Brisbane side that's gone through quite a big transition sort of out of nowhere at the moment, but I, I thought it was a pretty impressive performance. And we've got you know, the likes of Joe Lolly and Robert Mack. Like, yeah, you've got a very good team in your hand. And also Fabio Gomez, he deserves a shout-out. 
Yeah, Fabio Gomez. I've I had some choice words about him on this podcast recently. Think I'm starting to slowly buy the hype, and I'm glad with the Mariners not making any big calls. I made a slightly big call or a suggestion about MacArthur, and I'm still paying the price for it. Isn't that fantastic, Caden? What have you got for us? Yeah, I've got similar some similar points to Jake, more Central Coast Mariners focused. I've got my first one is that Alu Paul is a seriously underrated striker in the A League this season. And then my second point is that Clayton Taylor, once Nestor Irwin Kunda leaves to join Bayern, I think he'll be the next big, hyped young player in this league. And then third and finally, back again with the Mariners, Josh Nisbet, I think, should be seriously considered at this point as a depth option for future Socceroos squads. I think he's been unbelievable this season. We'll get into some some Socceroos chat, maybe towards the end after we've kind of covered the A-League round, but that is a massive call. And I guess we are going into the cycle where we will start seeing those younger or youngish players from the A-League start stepping up into the Socceroos in preparation for 2026. So that'll be an interesting chat when we get to it. My three points, I'll start with Melbourne because... A very big contrast to last week. Neither of you Melbourne boys actually mentioned anything about Melbourne, so we've completely gone with the inverse. But I wanted to make a quick point about Antonis. Gets a lot of hate. I do think he can still do a job at an A-League level and he can be a serviceable player for Melbourne City. Jets are a string of good results away from being a top six contender. If they can, the football does look okay, maybe a little bit inconsistent in patches, but if they can get the results out of games as well. I actually do think they could make a push for the top six. And Oscar Priestman should really be a key player in that Wanderers midfield. And speaking of the Wanderers midfield, that is the game we're going to start with because based on what we've kind of spoken about, it looks like we've got a lot to talk about from this game, especially in regards to certain individuals. But we'll start with, I guess, the match as a whole. And the biggest takeaway I think we've seen from a team perspective, Jake, that was yours. Still on the Central Coast Mariners hype train for good reason too. They look legit. You mentioned, I can't remember if you actually said it now, but you did mention to me, best team in the league on form with Melbourne Victory. Melbourne Victory are undefeated, so obviously that's taken into account an entire season's worth of matches. But the last couple of weeks, Mariners are probably, if you're doing a power rankings of sort, would definitely up there towards the top of the league. Equal with Victory. Look, I'm not going to say it's a poor shout. It's definitely arguable. Talk to me about that then. Yeah, well, in all competitions, nine games undefeated. They've won their last three games in the league. I I think they're consistently building the Central Coast Mariners side. Uh, After many years of, you know, Alan Sajic and then Nick Montgomery, it was naturally going to be a bit of a process, uh, you know, adapting and adjusting to a new style because Mark Jackson has brought that. Yeah, he initially sort of played that sort of four-four-two system that we were used to seeing with the Central Coast Mariners. However, we've seen that over the season develop and change. I think you know, in his press conferences, he sort of mentioned the fluidity he sort of really wants in his formations in this sort of modern era of football. You know, on paper, we see probably a four-two-three-one at the moment with you know Josh Nisbet. That's been very highly sort of talked about. That sort of move you know, up to the number ten role, but we also see him you know change to a three at the back. You know, where he sees fit in pressing in situations. And I think that sort of tactical flexibility, I actually don't really know if there's anyone else in the A-League that has that at the moment or is doing that um, the way that he is, at least, which I, I like. You know, I, I think it's it's good to sort of have, you know, someone that's probably yeah, more 
knowledgeable on the tactical side and sort of keeping up to date with that. And I think yeah, they've, they've sort of paid the prices for that. That that Western Sydney result is very impressive. Um, you know, th- th- this is one of the best teams in the league, Western Sydney. You know, th- this isn't just you know an average team. You know, this is a good team, and to go away from home, win that there final game with Marco Tulio, which by the way, like he's he's going to be such a streets won't forget player. You know what I mean? Like like he's an unbelievable player to watch, and he had had a great impact, especially sort of you know towards the end of his career uh, with the Mariners. So yes, yeah, so I think it's it's naturally now. Okay, the big question will be Marco Tulio. He's going. What happens now? You know, can you find a way to replace him, or yeah, are they going to stagnate? But I think on form, you know, it probably yeah, they may have a bit of a dip. Yeah, I'm sort of looking here. They've got Victory City, Brisbane Raw. Yeah, you know, how a Brisbane Raw go at the moment? Maybe they get the win there. But yeah, Victory and City. Um, yeah, they're going to be two tough games there. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of how they do that. But yeah, for me, on form, and I think I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, the the Victory. Central Coast game, like the two teams I said are most. I was actually just about to me. mention that. That, that, that. That's actually fantastic how that's worked, to be fair. Yeah. Well, I didn't even realize that. But yeah, at uh, in Unite Round, that's going to be that's gonna be a really, really good game to watch, you know? Like these are two teams that have been really great. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm buzzing for next week now, to be fair. That, it's going to be such a good game. Oh, I think that's one we've got to make sure, even if it's not either of us two, someone from FPF really needs to make sure they're at that game. For anyone that isn't aware, we're going to have a few guys in Sydney, so be keep an eye out for content or whatever we're doing. We actually don't know what we're doing yet. We're working that out this week, but whatever we do during your night round, be sure to stay on the socials. I will run through those at the end of this. But even if you recognize any of us from Twitter, from any of our shenanigans on that app, be sure to come say hi, I guess. Yeah, we're all friends here. We're all football lovers. Looking at the stats of this game, Mariners, less possession, less shots, Wanderers, actually significantly ahead in terms of those areas created more big chances about the Mariners had a higher XG even if that was only slightly so for what they were actually working with Mariners are actually doing quite well there is a clear goal in what um, Mark Jackson is trying to get out of this team and even if they're not necessarily holding onto the ball for an overly large amount of time or they're not able to um, create the amount of chances that their opposition is what they are creating is clearly of use for them, not just for the fact that they're winning games but XG, I know not many people like to read into that too much, but if you're having almost half the shots of your opponent and still getting more XG out of it, you know, maybe there is a story there to kind of hop on about a little bit. Caden, I'll start with the um, the Mariners in general, but you pointed out two players for us, Alec Quall, Josh Nisbet. We'll start with Quall and kind of the Mariners altogether, because I think that kind of fits in a little bit better. But for Quall, someone who probably hasn't scored the amount of goals that, I don't know if maybe we expected more from him in that department, but what are you seeing from him in terms of his position, his role in this Mariners team that for you is saying that he's underrated? Yeah, I think with Cole, I think one of his biggest strengths is when he's off the ball defensively. His pressing is so good. Um, He's always there. He never gives up for the ball. And we've seen that pay a dividend frequently. He's gotten... Two of his goals this season have come from pressing and winning the balls off a press. Um, and then I've got some stats here about Qual, which I'll use to back up my point. And which that is, first off, his XG is 0.85 per 90. That's the third highest league, third highest in the league behind Musa Toure and Archie Goodwin, two players who haven't played a lot of minutes this season. 
So per Naomi stats are going to be heavily weighted in their favor. So I think that shows that Quall is getting into good spaces. He's making good runs, getting into good positions. And I think that's further backed up by that he's averaging nearly two, two shots on target per 90, which is it puts him in the 91st percentile amongst A-League forwards. Um, so yeah, just further, like I said, I think he's really underrated. I think he's going to come good. He's got nine big chances missed this season so far. And so I think that just shows that once the goals start coming, because goals, as we all know, is very much a confidence thing. So I think once they start coming, one brings two, I think. One brings two, brings three, brings four. And I think as the season progresses and he starts getting a bit of confidence back, because I heard that coming back from Europe, he was pretty down on confidence for how his European transfer went. He didn't get a lot of, he didn't get the amount of game time that he was if promised or expected. So I think this season he's come back with a bit of a point to prove, and I think as the season progresses, he's going to be right up there on the goal tally come the end of the year. Yeah, I think goals for him is probably the key missing component. If you change even that four to a six or a seven, you're putting him in a much stronger light, I guess. It's just, I guess if you score less than a goal every two games, that's when people kind of have those concerns, but... There is a lot off the ball that he does. You're 100% right. And I think in terms of where he fits in kind of this Mariner system is a benefit to him as well because even the space that he's able to create, the chances that he's able to fashion out, whether it's directly or indirectly, is still a key component of this, of this Mariner's team. So, you know, goals is one thing, but your role in the team is another. No uh, Mariner's fans will have very happy memories of another striker that kind of did a similar thing to Matty Simon. So you never know. It might be slight incarnation in that regard. That is maybe a bit of a stretch in terms of the two personalities. But another player that you mentioned, I'm going to stay with you, Caden, Josh Nisbet. I think this is like the sixth week in a row we're talking to him about, but I think this is we're getting to a point where each week he's adding something of value to a football match. You mentioned he should be looked at for a Socceroos, even depth option. Is it just a depth option, or do you think he's someone that could probably... Even if it's not necessarily now, but let's just say in the next 12, next 12 months, knock on the door to say, hey, I genuinely deserve to be part of the 23. Well, yes, I think you should be part of the 23. That's kind of what I meant when I said depth option, more like bringing off the bench in games. Because I so think not necessarily just like behind the squad if someone gets injured, like someone that's in there ready to in play. In there, yeah, in the squad ready to play. Probably not starting every match because... I think in the number 10 role for Socceroos, that's Alex Robertson's, that's his position to, his position to lose at the moment. Um, once he's more called up, I think after the Asian Cup, I think we'll see him called up much more consistently in squads. But I think, yeah, Nisbet is just, yeah, it's been unbelievable. It's been a stroke of genius from Mark Jackson to push him up further up the field. Um, his, all his, um, Underlying numbers look really good for his passing and creativity. Uh, the one thing, again, he lacks is just goals, I think. Um, he's had a few shots this season and hasn't scored yet, but I think he just needs to keep putting in solid performances this season. And I think he's, I think he should seriously consider being capped by Army. I think he, obviously his height isn't 
major detriment for him, but I think good players with a good talent, you just got to pick them. I mean, for God's sake, Messi is the best player in the world, and he's not a tall, not a tall man, so I don't think that should be used as an excuse to keep him out of international squads. It's funny you link him to Messi. I'm pretty sure there was talks the first time Josh Nisbet was even kind of linked with the Socceroos um, cap or call-up. It was for that Argentina game in China middle mm. of last year. So it's kind of a little correlation there, I guess. But someone that Graham Arnold has said in the past that he's got his eye on, hopefully someone that he's going to try and integrate in the future because, you know, height's one thing, but I think we're past the point where height's a conversation when it comes to him. I think he's shown on more than plenty occasion that height should not be a factor when you're talking about Josh Nisbet. He's genuinely a baller someone that's actually got a genuinely good base level of a technical ability. I think even in terms of his physical ability, as much as people harp on the height, he's still a top-heavy player, someone who can hold his own, and he's got a low centre of gravity that allows him to have better balance than a lot of other players. So even if he's got someone set six foot four trying to muscle up to him, he can still kind of hold his own in that regard, and that's genuinely a special quality. Another one who may be on the smaller side physically, on the Wanderers team, though, this time, but still a great, great player. Oscar Priestman, someone who's probably in the middle of a breakout season now, was benched to facilitate the return of Brillante. And look, the social media reaction to Brillante's performance has not been kind. Uh, probably similar to what he was getting towards the end of his Melbourne victory days. Personally, I thought he was starting to come to his own again, look like he was in a side in the Wanderers that he could kind of play his best football. But he got injured, Priestman came in, Priestman was playing fantastic, offered a lot more than what the Wanderers had previously, where I guess um, the creativity was a bit more stagnant. He's someone that picks up the ball, likes to look forward, likes to progress the team forward. Brillante comes back in, could be, um, what do you call it, lack of freshness, lack of match sharpness, that could genuinely be it, but Wanderers fans aren't the forgiving type. They saw Priestman come in, genuinely lift this team, create a lot more. Wanderers are able to progress a little bit more going forward with him in there. Jake, I'll throw it to you. Wanderers' best midfield partnership. Hendricks and, well, obviously Hendricks is going to be the starter, but do you partner him with Priestman or do you partner him with Brillante? Because if I'm picking, I'm probably going with Priestman at this point. I think he's shown enough that he deserves a starting spot. Yeah, I was really disappointed to see Priestman dropped. I thought he played very, very well in the sort of, I think it was two starts he had you know, while Brillante was out injured. And I, th- I think that was yeah, sort of the question a lot of people had going to this game with Brillante, you know, returned from uh, his suspension. Uh, you know, I, I think deep down, I probably thought, yeah, I, I think he's just going to go Brillante because I guess we're just used to that as A-League fans, you know, um, you know, a lot of coaches sort of back that more experienced head over the young player, you know, and especially these sort of tight, important games. But yeah, I, I, I think the thing with Josh Belante is if you look at statistically, he looks like a good player, but I think the he, he does a lot of things that may, maybe you don't see in the stats is in he uh for example, you know, won't progress the ball as much as other players. You know, he'll play the safer pass, which looks good in terms of pass accuracy and passes completed. However, in terms of progressing the ball forward and creating chances, I th- I think that's something that Priestman has shown um to do really well. I, I think he reminds me a lot now, I think there's a lot of parallels between him and sort of Callum Yunovs in terms of the circumstances in which he came, but I think he sort of has that uh, ability that Callum Yunov have in terms of, um, you know, he's able to get back and defend. He's quick in the sense of you know, he's able to buzz around the pitch. He's got that youth, um, and he's able to progress the ball forward too. I think he's got a lot to his game, 
Um, but yeah, we've sort of, you know, it, it seems like Brillante probably is going to win that spot back. Bit of a shame, you know, Brillante, um, Priestman is, I think, only 20 years old, so he's someone that's young and only going to get better. But yeah, when you sort of have someone like Josh Brillante ahead of him, yeah, it's, it's only going to halt probably that sort of development that we can see. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see because obviously last season we saw Rudan sort of take a bit of a punt and essentially start new and off the whole season, which well, was a bit of a surprise personally for me, but what a you know, decision it was. You know, did he end up going on, uh, you know, making the move to Hearts, making Wanderers, you know, some some sweet bucks, you know, off one season. And, you know, like this could have been a potential similar scenario here with Priestman, but it does seem, yeah, he's going to have to maybe bite his time a little bit more compared to Yunoff. Obviously, yeah, this is his only first season in the attic. So disappointing, but, yeah, I, I think it's just an, maybe an all too common theme. You know, it's, 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 uh, uh, we, we see this so many times with, you know, countless players, you know, uh, another one on top of my head, Jamie Kachaski. He's only one now that's sort of a very similar scenario. Now he's sort of finally buying his time and he's doing well. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe Rudan, you know, reads all the comments on Twitter. He's like, you know what? Fuck this. You know, I'm, I'm dropping Belante. Let's go for the, let's, let's make all the Oz, uh, football fans happy. I'm going to take a punt and say that Rudan is not the social media type. Just going to throw it out there. Just a hunch. But I think if there's one, I don't want to say contradictory. If there's one difference, I could probably point out between Priestman and Neuenhoff. Neuenhoff, I think was at a point where even if he had the injuries in seasons before, was reaching a stage where he kind of should be an A-League starter. When he first broke onto the scene, he was doing really, really well. Obviously, had an unfortunate run of injuries, but someone that, at his age and at the ability that he'd even shown already, even despite everything that was going on with him, you could kind of see that he was ready to start an A-League level. Whereas Priestman, this is only his first season, even kind of being a part of that first-team squad and even being an option to come into an A-League team. So I can kind of see in that regard why he'd be in and out, but... I think if you're looking purely on ability, you, you, you probably do put him ahead of Berlante at this stage. It's not like a situation where they're bringing more than Shadowland halfway through and someone's got to kind of be shifted out in that regard. Yeah, probably Hendricks and someone of that ilk, but the way Preston's playing and the midfield stocks that Wanderers have, you'd, you'd probably, you'd lean towards a Hendricks Priestman partnership. I think the only silver lining for Priestman personally is Hendricks, uh, Hendricks does look like he's Carrying an injury now, so Prisma may have spot opened up for him to come into in the meantime. Caden, I'll get your thoughts on the Wanderers altogether because I won't say it was a disappointing performance. They were able to get to um the Mariners box a fair few times. Not overly massive cre- uh, chances created for them though. And I guess we do have to take into account the fact that Wanderers, you never know, there might have been a mindset effect in, re- in regards to that Jack Gibson. Did go down with that injury, unfortunately, in the lead up to the game. Looks like, from all accounts I've heard, it's an ACL injury. We'll probably hear, maybe we'll get confirmation of what that is before this episode goes up. We are recording on the Sunday night. So you never know, Monday morning Wanderers might have a press release for us to let us know exactly what's going on in that situation. But what do you make of the Wanderers? And do you think it probably affects them a fair bit in regards to the fact that a player goes down injured like that essentially five, ten minutes before a football match? Um, I'm not sure the injury would have affected them mentally that much. I think they they probably have the mental fortitude just to move on from that and focus on the game as it comes. But yeah, I think it was a pretty poor performance from Weston. They yes, they did get in the box a lot, but I mean they had twenty shots and only five of them were on target and they had zero big chances in the whole game. 
So I, so when I heard Rudan in the post-game press conference saying that he thought they deserved the win, I thought that was a bit uh, eye-roll-inducing. But I mean, coaches are always going to back their players, so so it's always what it is. But um, but yeah, no, I think. They're heavily relying this season on uh, Nicholas Milanovic, who's been, to be fair, having a pretty good season. And, yeah, he was... It seemed to be they were just running through him that whole game, especially after Hendricks went off injured. Um, and then, as you said, Berlante didn't offer much. I'm not sure what his future is in the A-League. I just feel like there are a lot of young young midfielders that could one do a better job than him and you probably don't have to pay him the wages that he expects. Um and but yeah, I thought overall it was a pretty poor performance from Western Sydney, although I will give a quick shout out to Aiden Simmons who performed pretty well in that game as well, but just couldn't set anything up for any assists. Getting Jake excited there, bringing Aiden Simmons back up. It's his favourite player. I'd rather bring it up. He's, he's, he's very good. He's, he's the modern fullback that I love in a fullback. Gets it's funny full. because you talk about modern fullback. I know I'm from memory. He was a bit more of an advanced player playing at Sydney FC's youth team. So since he's come to the Wanderers, that's since when he's been kind of rebranded into a right back. And hey, you know what? They look better for it. I think another person that probably deserves a quick shout-out, or at least a quick mention, Daniel Markush coming in on that kind of late notice with Gibson going down injured. Played quite well as well. There was that one shaky moment um towards the start of the game. But, look, Tulio's goal was a nice goal, and ever since then, Markush did basically what he had to do. Came out five saves in that game. Probably deserves a fair bit of credit for what he was able to do, I guess, on relatively short notice. And Pentasopoulos. Uh, centre back, left back, who stepped in as the backup keeper. And look, maybe it was a sense of he wanted to get back on the bench back in the match day squad, but you know what? Someone had to step up in that moment. He was the one that was willing to do it. So full kudos to him. We'll move on to the next game. We'll have a chat about MacArthur Newcastle because it was a fair bit that we actually kind of came up with ourselves that we saw from this game. Jake, we'll start with your point that MacArthur's inevitable capulations come. They're at- they, this is the first point they've picked up in four games. Is this where the capulation is, or is this is it just basically a summation of what's been happening in the last few weeks for them? Yeah, I think I probably more more so meant it. Like, yeah, yeah, this is just a continuation of sort of what I've been you'd sort of notice with them. Um, I, I think the main thing that I think teams have picked up on Macarthur is uh, counterattacking. They're quite good, you know that they like to sit back. And counterattack. They've got a lot of you know quick young players. For example, Jed Drew, Raphael. You know that they've shown good ability there. However, if you give them the ball, sort of sit off them, let them create, they they probably haven't been the best. I think if you look at the game here, they did have the better XG to be fair. However, I I just I, I'm I'm not sure how they're going to really sort of establish themselves as a team that can really compete unless they do get better in those situations where someone sits off them and says, "You have the ball." you know, create against us. You know, I think they have very good players that can potentially do that, to be fair. You know, Ulysses Davila, you know, he's simply just a top footballer. Valer Germain, you know, if you can give him some chances, he will score. But I think the pieces around that, perhaps like, you know, in the players we mentioned, Jed Drew and Rafael Borges Rodriguez, I think they're two really, really solid wingers. They've got some good speed, but are, are they at the point where they can be consistent starters for a team that's going to be pushing for a league title? I personally don't think so yet. 
I'm more than happy if they prove me wrong because you know I would you know that you know they can push for a soccer spot if that if that's the case. But um, but yeah, I I think they're a, a team that's you know got you know good players but not necessarily great players to really compete for that. Even in the defense, you know the likes of Matt Yerman, Tom Luscock, Vujicic, very solid A League players. But are they you know the the level to where you can you know be a team that sits back and resists this pressure? You know I I don't I don't think they're that good you know as a, as a defense personally. So yeah, uh, again you know um they've got the Asian Cup to also. Uh, sort of balance, I think, in a couple of weeks or so. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how far they progress there because I think that, it that might could be potentially February hamper them. Go back into that. Feb. Well, there we go. So, so I think they've yeah probably got a bit of time now to yeah yeah without that sort of extra travel, sort of sort this shit out. You know, steady the ship enough. a little bit. Yeah, just just figure it out a little bit before because yeah, you don't want to be dropping points now when you don't have that extra thing because when that comes back in, you know, maybe you know because like, I to be fair, I would say in a way the Asia Cup it almost seemed to help them a little bit, sort of play themselves into good form. I'm not too sure because it seems ever since that's yeah, literally ever since that's came out, they've lost their last three games and drawn. Before that, they were on a winning streak. So that oh, <laughs> maybe it's, they actually need it. Who knows? It's genuinely a weird turn of events, in all honesty. Because look, I don't know how much you can read into that. Their fixture would have fixture list would have been congested during that period because even since they've come out of it their fixture list has still been quite congested. So there hasn't really been much reprieve for the club. I guess in that sense, maybe the legs are starting to catch up on catch up to them a little bit. And it's a feature that has been put to uh, Stojowski, I think, every week for the last two or three weeks. It was, um, I was at the Wanderers MacArthur presser. Someone put it to him there. We got to MacArthur Newcastle's presser. It was put to him there again. So I think they're, the club's well aware of the fact that this is what people are kind of pinning their back, their recent form on. And I think, look, to a certain extent, I think it could be. The way this first half played out, it was very transitional. I tried to ask Stanton if he th- uh, was expecting kind of that transitional match, and he kind of shut it down saying it was just more fast-paced instead of transitional, that it might have looked transitional. But to me, looks transitional, sounds transitional. I'm going to take guess that it's transitional in reality, but... I'm not one to one argue with an A-League coach either. But the way that game was played in the first half, very, very intense, very high paced at the very least. That's not, that's not something that's going to play into MacArthur's hands considering everything that's going on around him. There hasn't been a massive turnaround for them in each game. They don't have much time to prepare. And I think even Stajowski said there's been instances with these games where he hasn't had the time to prepare specifically for a certain match. He's just basically always trying to get through this period, I guess, in a way. So there are those factors going against MacArthur, and I guess that can kind of constitute why they are experiencing this drop-off. But, Caden, I'll put it to you, just on MacArthur, does it say anything to you that they were able to work their way back into this match? Because, you know, even if you look aside from the penalty in 97th or something minute, the second half was brilliant football, and Davila was back at his best as well. Yeah, I agree. The second half, they did kind of steady ship and by trying to control the game a bit more, which maybe is something they need to look to do in future games, not not sit off as much and actually try and be, be a bit more positive in possession. Um, yeah, the Villa, we, I kind of said last week, I think on the plot, I said I hadn't been up, back, up to his best recently, but 
think that game he came out and proved me wrong. Just, just really about well. in, sorry, as well. That first half, he was almost anonymous, but the second half, maybe there was a bit more space for him that was being created, but he was on the ball so much more. He was driving forward a lot more, skipping through players, creating everything for MacArthur. That's the kind of the villa you want to see, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think they need that if they want to progress in both the A-League and the AFC Cup in February. I will say that I think maybe Steve Jolski needs to maybe take a look at his squad management. Maybe he needs to rotate his starting 11s a bit more in these congested periods just to keep the legs a bit fresh. Like, I mean, I... Lockie Rose has been coming off the bench a lot, so maybe give him give him a few starts. I know he's coming off a pretty significant injury, but maybe in the next couple of weeks give him a few opportunities to start and either give Germain a bit of a rest and then have him ready for the Asian Cup. I think that's something that, because we all know Ali clubs have never really done well in these Asian competitions and I think that's one of the main reasons for it, that coaches have a over-reliance on one single starting 11 and they don't use their whole squad well enough. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just the thing that Stoyovsky needs to take a look at in the next few weeks. It's funny, actually. You look at the one player that probably wasn't rotated was Jake Holman. It's probably the one player they needed, especially in that first half where they were struggling to create a little bit. So by oh, yeah. what? Sorry, Sorry. Um, I was just going to say, in the post-game interview, they interviewed him on the pitch and he said he was shocked that he wasn't, he found out five minutes before the team meeting that he wasn't starting and he was shocked because apparently he was told at the start of the week, you're not going to train this week, we're just going to rescue for the week and then you'll be able to start this game against the Jets and it turned out that he didn't train all week and then didn't even get the start. So yeah, I think maybe another thing. Stoyovsky needs to take a look at or he doesn't want to run the risk of weeds in the dressing room or anything like that so it's just another thing I heard. I wasn't aware of that actually obviously I was at the match I didn't get to see what the interviews I went to broadcast so look uh, it was George Clark from the AAP that put it to him after the game about Holman being rested and Stoyovsky just basically said it was to keep him fresh for games that were coming up mentioned Adelaide in particular so yeah the fact that he didn't train that week that's a little bit surprising since it looks like this is premeditated that Holman wasn't going to start this game. Really, really interesting. But we'll move on. Newcastle Jets. As much as it probably look, they're a weird one because they're not a side that look like they're going to go out and dominate a lot of games. I don't think they're going to, they're playing the same football they were under Pappas where it was possession heavy, even if there was that attacking focus. But in transition, they are a side that does look really, really good. Caden, you did mention someone in particular, Clayton Taylor. And a description that I heard about him on the weekend, they basically described him as a player that we don't see very often in Australia in terms of he's very comfortable in one-on-one situations and genuinely just driving at people. And the fact that he's doing it more in central areas, like we do have some wingers that have done it in, I guess, past seasons. You look at Arzani when he first came in here in Kunda recently. You look at those kinds of plays, and they may be comfortable in the same way Taylor is, but Taylor does it in... Probably a slightly different way and something that's definitely suited to how Newcastle are trying to play. Definitely cut inside a little bit more if he's playing out wide. Seems a bit more comfortable in the centre of the park and the way the game was playing out, especially in the first half, he did have a lot of space to kind of go forward, transition, take the ball, drive up players and try and create something. Maybe on occasion, 
slightly missing that last pass, that last touch. They got a goal in the end as well, even if it was off, and I think we should give it a quick mention, a beautiful Aquilina ball. Uh, you look, I know the camera angle that you get on TV kind of shows that the pass is on, but as a player in that moment to see it and execute it, but the way he did definitely is a hard skill to do. There's a reason why these guys are professional footballers. Jake, I'll start with you before I go back to you, Caden, about Clayton Taylor. Jake, just in New about Newcastle overall, I did mention before, I think if they can get a few wins on the board and get a sequence of wins in a row, suddenly they're 100% in the top six content, uh, conversation. Is that something you agree with or you think there's still, you want to see more from this Newcastle team? Well, I think I'd sort of point exactly to their last nine games. Three wins, three draws, three losses. This is a team that's been very up and down. You know, we've seen a lot of great signs from them playing some good attacking football with great young players. And then we see, you know, calamitous performances, simply enough. Um, I, 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 my honest prediction is I don't think they will make the finals. However, I think they'll be one of those teams that are seven for eighth, you know, very close, sort of push it all the way, but maybe just don't quite have enough to make it, which to be fair, like considering their resources, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can necessarily be upset of that, you know, as a Newcastle Jets fan. I think Rob Stanton, I really like sort of what, how he was speaking post games sort of talking about versatility they have, you know, sometimes they'll play a bit more counter-attacking, they'll play a bit longer and sometimes they'll play, you know, sort of shorter build-up play, uh, which I like, you know, I think it's good to have that flexibility and we've seen that consistently from them. You know, it's, it's, it's maybe been a bit surprising at times. We've sort of been like, what the hell's going on? But it seems like there's, you know, there's, there's reasoning and thought behind it rather than just complete another, you know, inconsistency, I guess, in that sense. So yeah, I, 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 I don't see enough in this side currently, um, to really force their way into the finals. You know, you, you never know. They could just have a really, really good run. You know, this team has been, you know, shown those signs, but yeah, but yeah, to be fair, like someone like, uh, Got his name, Apostolos Stamatolopoulos. Um, you know, obviously missed this game. Um, that's a massive player there. You know, they've missed. So getting him back in the team after his suspension, that's obviously not you know going to help. So yeah, I, I think again they've got good pieces. They've got good young players. You know, Clayton Taylor. I think you know, Kane's going to talk about him shortly, but he is a superstar. Simply enough, I think he looks very, very, very promising. So that's one there. If they can keep a hold of him, because I the way I look at this Newcastle Jets team, I don't really see them. You know, this season, I, I'm thinking about them a couple seasons down the line. If they can keep the, because this is a very young team, I think it's, you know, I think it was the youngest team on the park this round or something like that. Um, if they can keep, you know, a lot of the key foundational pieces in this team together, you know, which is necessarily going to be easy. They don't actually have owners, you know, so it's, it's always going to be tough. But if they can keep, you know, sort of a majority of this team together, I think, yeah, it could be a really interesting team. Um, yeah. Consistently inconsistent. I think that's probably the best way I can describe them, especially with that record that, you pointed out before, and I think you mentioned it as well, like there's signs there that they can be a good team. It's just a matter of, and that's where kind of my point was trying to allude to, you know, they've got the building blocks, they have a good side, and when they're on their day, they can play some good football. They're just not doing it consistent enough to be a top six team. If they can get the consistency down, maybe they can make a push for it. I'm not even saying they will make it, but they could be in and around that conversation. But until they get that kind of in order, I don't think they're going to go too far. Caden. You're the one that brought up Clayton Taylor at the start of the episode. And I think we've kind of already harped on about him a little bit already, but you're comparing him to Iren Kunda, who obviously is the talk of Australian football at the moment. There are a few similarities to their game, I guess, but is this someone that you can foresee 
maybe in the next two, three years, getting that million dollar, maybe even multi-million dollar transfer fee to Europe? Well, I'm not sure on the actual like money dollar signs, how much it would be worth, but I mean, Aussie Scout on Twitter, who's pretty well, a uh, person who's pretty in the know has said that he's already gotten interest from both the MLS and Europe. So there are already people that are very familiar with him. Um, yeah, I was kind of comparing him with Iran Kundra in the sense that I think he'll be a really good marketing person for the A-League and in that you'll want everyone to tell your friends or you to come down and watch this guy play. He's really exciting to watch. And I kind of think like, I was thinking, why do you, what is it about Aaron Kundra that fans really love over these last couple of seasons? I think that's one, his pace, two, his dribbling, and three, his shooting. That's basically everything that Clayton Taylor possesses. He's not, except maybe his pace, he's not as quick as Aaron Kundra, but I mean, we've seen the numbers on Aaron Kundra. He's just kind of a freak of nature with his pace, but, um, Definitely with his dribbling and shooting, he's unbelievable. He's, um, he's averaging 2.3, uh, successful dribbles per 90, which is only 0.9 behind Nesta this season. And he's scored four goals on the expected 0.39 XG per 90. And I think personally that he's, he's Newcastle's best player by far this season. And he's only 19 years old. And then I also wanted to give quick mention that he's another waste of Sydney FC youth talent. They lost him. He played 47 games at Sydney at youth level and scored 13 goals in those games. So I think once again, Sydney are going to be looking back and thinking what could have been. But um, I think for sure if he has finishes this season as well as he started, and then puts another full season of quality performances in, I think he'll be attracting a lot of overseas attention. It's interesting you mentioned the kind of the marketing perspective and it's going to be a conundrum for the A-League when Niren Kunda does go. Like who kind of fills that gap? Who's the young player that you kind of say, hey, look, come down, watch this guy. So you know what? If it's Clayton Taylor, you guys heard it here from Caden Folly first. Hopefully that comes through. Hopefully we don't put the FPF curse on him as we do with a few other players that we've kind of spoken about in the past, but that's a whole other conversation. We'll move on to Sydney, Brisbane. Ben Khan's first showing as a head coach in the A-League men's. Definitely not a bad performance from Brisbane, but we'll start with Sydney FC because, Jake, you're the one that kind of said we're seeing the Sydney FC that we saw in the Australia Cup, which, to be fair, was a fantastic team. The, the, the turnaround that they've been on, if I could just pull up their form real quick as well, because especially in the last few weeks, I think Taylor's finally got them clicking. They've won their last three in a row. Is this a side that, look, they're only one point off finals now. Is this a side that we kind of were expecting to not just make finals, but to be uh, have a say in maybe the title race as well? Are we starting to see, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to get themselves into that conversation this season, but is that the level of side we're seeing right now? Well, yeah, I, I, I think that this is another team where they clearly have the squad um, and the players have the ability to be you know, a team that can, can you know, contend for a finals, you know, to win the whole thing, ultimately. You know, Joe Lolly, for me, 
probably behind Tolgate Arslan, I'd say he's the second best player in the league personally. You know, at least he's in that conversation for me. And then you have Robert Mack, who is, you know, like I, I'd say I compare him to someone like a Mo Salah in that sense. Maybe not as good, obviously, but in terms of a really good inside forward that, you know, maybe isn't a sort of out-and-out winger, all-action defielder like Joe Lolly is, but he, you know, he, he gets in those positions, scores goals. Then you have Fabio Gomez, who, you know, I, I, I personally, I don't know, I, I hate being like, oh, I, I told you so, but like, I, I saw a lot of good signs in him and the goals weren't coming in those first weeks, but the thing that impressed me was, you know, as a six foot, you know, four or however tall he is striker, he has a lot to his game. You know, his link up is pretty good. He's quick. He's strong. He, he can do a lot. And it was a sense of, okay, when he can sort of add goals to his game, this could be a top striker in the league. So you already have that sort of attacking sense there. Then you have, you know, likes of Luke Brandon, I think still a really solid midfielder, Anthony Casillas. Um, you know, and even, you know, someone like Jay Goodwood Reich and Corey Holman, some good young midfielders there. So I think that, you know, like I was, you know, like Caden was talking about how Clayton Taylor, for example, came through the Sydney Academy. And it's a thing where it's like, it's easy to go back and be like, man, you know, this could be, but realistically, where does he really fit in this sort of Sydney team right now, for example? Because I think they're really solid. I'd say apart from defense, I'd say, because, because their defense is a little bit shaky and that's the thing that, Probably is holding me back, especially you know Jack Rodwell. I'd say is their best defender, but he's just constantly injured. Simply enough, so it's hard to really pin your hopes on you know someone like him. But yeah, I I really like this Sydney FC side. I think they've got a great team. They're an experienced team that could sense you know in a way play against them as you know the likes of Luke Braddon and Ryan Grant and even Andrew Redmayne probably showing some signs of aging. I just don't think they're as good as they are anymore. And fair enough, you know they're well in their thirties now, like you know. They're, they're only humans after all. Um, but yeah, so I, I really like the sign of this Sydney team. I think Uvul Tale has done a great job in sort of reinvigorating the likes of Jaden Kaczarski. I think he's been really, really good. I was surprised to see him taken off, I think, with Fabio Gomez quite early on in the game. It was, it was a bit disappointing. But yeah, I like the signs. And even someone like Nathan Amanatidis, uh, he's a really, really promising young player. We saw him come off and, oh, come on, sorry. And he actually came on and came off and he didn't look very happy about that. But I, I I got it in the in the moment. They're holding on for the for the result, but he's definitely one to keep an eye on. On Nathan Manatees, he's very he he's got that sort of same pace and power as someone like Anesta. Like very impressive. Like he, some of the bursts he had through through the midfield, I was like, wow. I didn't yeah you know, I, I didn't really you know, something sort of in the water in South Australia. I, I don't know what the hell's going on in South Australia, but it's it's crazy. Just some of these wingers, you know. And you'd say even for like an Adelaide now with Nesta leaving. That could have been perfect, you know, that they you know, let him go to Sydney. Or well, I'm not exactly sure what happened there, but man, they could they could probably use you know something like a Nathan Manatidis now, sort of shadowing Nesta before he leaves. But yeah, so Sydney have another great player on their hands there. So yeah, I I, I like the way that sort of Ufuk Tale is developing the Sydney side over the season, and yeah, we'll, we'll sort of see if it's you know maybe a momentary you know sort of you know purple patch of form or it's something prolonged. Personally. I think with the team he's got and the experience Talley has as a coach, I think you know th- this is for real. You know, it's not just a little purple patch. Like I think they're here. They're going to push into that top six, and I think you know I don't know whether or not they'll win it. I personally predicted them to win it at the start of the season. Who knows? We'll have to see. Oh, feels like hopefully that does happen. Caden, one person that Jake did mention there, Fabio Gomez, someone that look I think a lot of us here at FPF were quite critical of. It's been he's had a really decent turnaround in the last few games. So obviously got a brace in this game, but even outside of that, he's up, got his um tally up to five goals this season. 
scored in all of his last three games. They even got an assist in there. So in his last three games, four goals, one assist. I guess a striker that we're kind of expecting from Sydney FC or the striker that we're expecting Fabio to be when he first came in. Obviously, showing the Australia Cup final was a very positive one. Are you on the hype train yet, or do you still think we should be seeing a little more from him? This maybe just is a purple patch. Uh, I think I might be on the forgiveness train begging for his forgiveness after I wrote a story saying that maybe he's not going to work out and be one of the other foreign signings that Sydney make. But yeah, mate, for sure, he's been he's been really good in the last few weeks. He's like Jake said, he's got a bit of everything. He's almost like a um, almost like a Haaland esque player, but obviously not as good as Haaland, but. That's kind of same sort of profile. He's good running in behind. He can hold up the ball a bit and then score those big headers like he did in um, the first goal of the game in the inside a minute um, against Brisbane. So yeah, I think he's a player that's going to have a good season from now on. And all I can do is say, I'm sorry, Fabio, but you don't hurt me. So what? Well, maybe washing away those evil spirits after West United did something for him. Just to kind of keep track of this, on this podcast so far, we're about, I think, just before the hour mark. And we have compared A-League players to Haaland, Salah, and Messi. That is something. Front page football's finest here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, we, we, we make some very, very, very good comparisons, very accurate comparisons. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'd love to see the day that Australian football can kind of have those comparisons and people don't just sit there and go, are you serious? Like, the quality is that disparate that you can't do that. But you know what? In terms of styles of play, there are always going to be those similarities, even if maybe the quality of those styles and how they execute it is a little bit different. I mentioned Ben Khan before. Someone who, there's definitely a lot of hype around him, not just the fact that he's coming into this Brisbane job, but I think people have wanted to see him take that step up to A-League level for quite a while now. He's got his chance. First game, look, he definitely won't see it. It's kind of started off on the right foot. He would have wanted to win this game, especially at home, and especially in front of, I think we should probably mention, there's a lot of quite good Brisbane Raw crowd, even if they weren't served with the most quality pitch that you can get at Suncorp, but... Maybe that's a conversation for another day. I'll start with you, Jake. What did you kind of make of Ben Khan's debut? And is there any signs that, I guess, we kind of justify as the hype that's been around him for, I guess, the last year or so, basically? Yeah, well, I thought the first sort of maybe 20 or so minutes, I was a bit like, oh, shit. <laughs> this could be another sort of Melbourne City you know, demolition here because I think that's the thing with this Brisbane Raw team and the way they want to play. It's very free-flowing, and they play very open, which can be great, you know, when it works. However, defensively, it can, you know, get a bit sticky. Um, you know, Sydney had a, some, a lot of great chances. You know, scored in the first minute. I thought they could have easily had a couple goals in that first half. However, I think the probably the thing that didn't allow for the game to go that way was that Milius' goal. That was really important for them. You know, sort of to end off the half, one goal back, you know, it's 2-1. You know, it's, it's a tight game. So I think that was good, and I think we did see some form of improvement from the Raw. To be honest, I didn't think Raw played well at all this game. You know, they got barely over 0.58 xG from the game. That, that's not great as a home team against the Sydney side that you know isn't great defensively. You know, to be honest, 
So yeah, it was a bit disappointing, but again, you know, this is a this is a raw team that's you know, sort of a bit all over the place at the moment. They don't really have a striker at the moment. You know, Alex Parsons has had to play as a striker in these past two games. You know, Tom Waddingham has been out injured. Um, so to be fair, a, a shout I'd really like to see get a bit more of a chance is Jonas Markovsky. He you know, potentially there, sort of that MPL Victoria link, perhaps. You know, maybe that could sort of help. Uh, yeah, with Khan and Markovsky. Uh, Markovsky, I think, was the top scorer in the NPL Victoria last season, and has been, yeah, sort of reserved to some. You are the Victorian, to be fair. You're the one that should probably know this. Yeah, well, well to, to be fair, I'm, I'm not the best on my NPL Victoria knowledge, but yeah, I, I believe he was the top scorer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, NPL Victoria. Please, please, <laughs> please don't hurt me like like Caden said. <laughs> Taking the words right out of Caden's mouth. No, look, looking at kind of the stats from the second half in particular, Brisbane Raw. Topping possession, topping all the attacking statistics, all the XG statistics, all the passing uh, statistics, metrics, whatever you want to call it, all the dual metrics. There's a lot that Brisbane Rule did right in the second half. And look, it probably comes from the fact that Milosevic gets that goal right before half time. They go into the um, break with a little bit of confidence, even if they're still behind. And Ben Khan's probably sitting there going, hey, look, see, these things are working. Let's go and keep doing that. And from the get go, they're able to implement a really positive style of play. They're able to go and play on the front foot a little bit more and start to dominate that match. I still, the biggest thing with Brisbane Raw for me, at least, is a quality perspective. I don't think they have the players to really be this great team in the A-League. I still think they're probably missing one or two quality players that can do that. If there's one person that definitely makes a difference in this side, though, it's Florent Berenguer. Having him in that midfield does offer a lot more, and he was a key catalyst. I'm pretty sure he got the assist for it, actually, with Milligan's initial goal. So a fantastic ball played into him. I just couldn't remember for a sec if so he played it to someone else that played to Milosevic. But no, he did definitely get the assist for that. But having someone like him in, obviously a massive boost for the side. Okay, and I'll go to you. What did you make of this um, game from Brisbane Raw perspective as well? Uh, yeah, look, I think with Brisbane Raw, it's a club that are very much in a transitional phase. Like you said, they probably are a few players short of where they want to be. But I think... If Ben Khan can just kind of ride out this season, maybe, maybe either sneak in, uh, maybe six or finishing that six, seven or eight kind of range. I think that they should be really happy with that season. And that should be a, a good foundation for them to, to build on. As for the, this game, one thing I will say is after the, they brought Macklin Freak back in goal, which I think is a good decision. I can I think is the better of their keeping options. Um, and I'm not just saying that because they conceded eight goals. Most of those goals weren't the goalkeeper's fault. But um, I think what he offers as a ball progressor and ball distributor has helped them. And I think in that second half, he he played pretty well um, distributing the ball. Um, and then, yeah, I think basically was it. Well, I said, I'll just say again, I think they just need to get through the season, try and establish the club. They want to try and build a big youth system to kind of soak up and absorb all the Brisbane youth and try and develop them and sell them for profits. So I think that's something they should just focus on. And I think as a result of that, like we're seeing with Adelaide, the results will come if you kind of work with that framework in mind. Yeah, look, I think the direction that Brisbane Roar are going in is definitely a positive one, and the appointment of Ben Khan should help facilitate that even further. I'm pretty sure I said it here before. 
someone that knows the Queensland landscape from a football perspective, someone that can implement this kind of Brisbane and Queensland first uh, ideal that Brisbane kind of want to introduce under Kaz and Zach. So, look, by all accounts, this should really be a positive period for Brisbane Raw, which is going to take a little bit of time to implement, I guess. Move on to Western United and Melbourne City, the game that was played on the day that we're recording. Uh, I did make a point about Antonis, someone that I think can still do a job at an A-League level, but we'll get to that a little bit later. We'll just start on the two teams. And from a City perspective, started out as if, you know, they might fall to the team coming last. That definitely wouldn't have been a good look for them, considering Jake, I believe it was you last week that said Melbourne City are really starting to turn things around. Me and Caden kind of start, wanted to focus on Tolgay Arslan instead, and for good reason, do that guy is a baller. But, for, was there any heart and mouth moment that, you know, things might fall apart for Melbourne City or was there always a sense that they were going to get something out of that game, even if it took two brilliant goals? Yeah, look, I, I, I didn't necessarily think it was, or at least the first half, like I'm, I'll admit, you know, I was at work, um, for sort of a bit of this game. So I sort of had it on the background. Um, but yeah, the, I, I thought the first half, uh, from City was quite poor. I, I, I thought that, you know, in many ways sort of Western got the better out of them. You know, they got that early goal. But um, yeah, they, I thought they turned it around relatively well. You know, sort of two incredible goals. Like, but by the way, I just want to note this round that has to be up there. Some of the best goals we've seen, unbelievable! I can every game had at least that one or two. That you goal of the week highlight reel is going to be something special this week. You I, can already. I, I wonder who's. Gonna, I have no idea who's going to win it. To be fair, like it's, it's been about a couple, like like at least ten bangers. But but yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I thought City, yeah, picked up a little bit in that second half. You know, ultimately got the result. Yeah, you know, I think it was a far from their best performance. You know, I I think Jamie McLaren. That's another one there. I sort of want to highlight. You know, after the hat trick last week, it's he can be a bit disappointing in you know some of these games where he just isn't as involved and sort of had one big chance in this game and missed that. Unfortunately, yeah, you know, so that's just sort of the way it is. So, I yeah, I I'm I, I don't I don't know what to think with this city side as I I. You know, ultimately, I think, you know, I'll say it again. I think they have the best squad in the league and they've got a lot of really, really good pieces. But it's ultimately, yeah, working that all together, finding a way to, you know, create chances because yes, you know, McLaren missed that one big chance. However, that was the only big chance that City did create this game, which probably isn't good enough against, you know, quite a struggling Western United side. So it's, you know, we know that Tolgar signs amazing. You know, we know Harm Sasaki's great. You know, their wingers are good, but it's, finding a way to consistently get the most out of this team because City on principle should be, you know, a team that's not necessarily running away with the league, but they should really be, you know, playing better than they are. So I again, you know, I, I think that you know, Vidmar's done a really good, you know, sort of job with this team, progressing them. However, yeah, it's taking that next step from, you know, playing some of the worst football in the league, you know, at the start of the season, um, to, you know, you know, getting to a good level, and then it's taking that next step, you know, being, you know, you know, we're Melbourne City, you know, we should be, you know, really challenging for this league. They're the best team in the league, basically. Well, yeah, like if, if you look solely on resources, you know, and, you know, or in terms of Recent money and also too. squad, that every, every, really every aspect, to be fair, like this City team ultimately should be dominating the league, and we have seen that in past years, have a, you know, bit of a sort of slip up this season, but I don't know, I, I think he's done a relatively good you know, job in getting back to that norm, shall we say. Yeah, look, they're def- they're, the ship's been steadied for them, I guess. You know, They've gone six games undefeated. They have two wins in a row now, and it speaks a lot to their character that 
they could get back into this game even if West United they probably deserve a little bit of credit for at least shutting down their box. The reality is two goals like that are quite tough to stop. Maybe you shouldn't be giving opponents a little bit of space like that, especially when they do have the quality that Saki does and I guess the history of scoring goals from distance that Terry Antonis does, even if we probably haven't seen that best level from him in the last few years. Caden, you made a point about West United last week saying they should pack it in and kind of play the young players. There was a stage, especially in the second half, I know that's when they conceded their goals, but some of those young players came in. It definitely did look like a little bit of a lift to the side, and I know one player that both of you mentioned last week as well was Michael Roos, who got his goal. But, um, Caden, I guess I'll put it to you. That disparity between what we saw from their more senior players and their young players, what did you make of that today? Yeah, I thought their young players played really well. I thought Angus Thurgate, I'm, I'm going to still consider him a young player who's 23, so he's kind of on the t- tail end of that, but I thought he played really well. He offered up that great assist for Michael Roos to get his first goal. And then, yeah, Michael Roos, uh, as we said, another one of Jake's favourites, um, who, yeah, was getting in good positions. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm just not sure when Western United are going to win another game. They just can't seem to close games out. I'm not sure because they really, looking at the, uh, we've, We've gone into a lot of numbers this podcast, but I will say this, um, looking at the underlying numbers, you should, if you just looked at that and didn't look at the score, you'd think Western United probably won this game. But, um, I just, yeah, I'm not sure what the issue is with Western United at the moment because on paper they, they're a good team, but just on grass, they're just not getting it done. I will say Noah Bodic, he looks really down on confidence at the moment. Um, there was a, there was an opportunity where both Curtis Good and, um, Jamie Young were going for a ball and then neither of them ended up grabbing it and just rolled across an open net where I think a striker with confidence, um, probably would have been able to tap that in. But I think Noel Bollage just, yeah, he's not getting in good positions at the moment, which is a shame because he's such a talented young player. And I think, I think, as a potential future starting striker for the Socceroos. So once he comes good and they get a few of these young guys in, I think they hopefully can start putting together a bit more positive performances. It's been a story of a few games for West United this season where they have been able to play good, but, you know, maybe they're lacking a little bit of finishing edge, lacking maybe that little confidence in the final third and going forward to kind of see games out. But then the inverse is there's games that they play really, really bad in, and you can see where that drop of confidence comes in, because when you do have those games, the next game you can kind of come out and play as well as you can. If you don't believe in yourself that you can get something out of it, then they're not going to get something out of it, aren't you? I think that's probably the biggest thing we're seeing from Western Nair. It could just be a genuine psychological issue at this point. I did mention Terry Antonis before, and I'll go to your guys' thoughts as well on this, because someone who, I don't know if City fans maybe reacted in a negative way when they first signed him. Definitely took a lot of people by surprise considering how he played the last time he was playing for the Wanderers, which wasn't last season. He was just kind of sitting there collecting a wage. But when he first started, the Wanderers was borderline terrible. Rudin basically had him in the stands for a whole season. City's taken a punt on him as a depth option, but the way his career is going, at least in my opinion, that's probably where he's best suited now. And he's at a club where you know, I think we all remember Terry Antonis' quality from his 
Sydney FC, Melbourne Victory days, more or less. Great player. Could genuinely come in and impact a game. Was up there with some of the best midfielders in the league. Could have done a job overseas if maybe he made the right move. But last couple of years hasn't really worked out for him at the Wanderers. He had a really torrid time. City now he's coming in. He's got a whole lot of players ahead of him that are genuinely do up. Genuinely better footballers than him at this point in time. But he, I do feel like he's got that underlying quality where he can still come into a game like today and still make an impact. And the reality is, if that's the role that he's going to have in an A-League team nowadays, I think that's probably perfect for him. Even if, you sh- if you're showing you can do it at a club like Melbourne City, I guess that speaks more to about him and his mental fortitude, I guess, because it's not easy sitting in the stands for a year and a half or a season and a half, basically. So... Full credit for him being able to kind of make this really cool comeback and you know, get a winner today as well. I'm sure he'll be happy to do that. But he's had a few moments this season where he's been able to positive, positively impact games. Jake, Caden, whichever one of you kind of want to pipe up on this, I'll leave it to you guys. But one, were you surprised about Antonis coming into the, into the City team? I'm sure you guys were. But what are you making of his impact now since then, at least? Yeah, I was a bit surprised. Um but like you said, I think it's I think it is a perfect spot for him. I think just someone that can come in, do a job. He'll be I'm sure he's like a good guy in the dressing rooms. Um, probably a good glue guy when he can just do a job wherever you need him across that midfield. And I think tonight demonstrated that with the goal he picked up. Yeah, Jake, you got anything to add? Yeah, I, I think he's sort of a little bit of a luxury player you can sort of have off the bench, to be fair. Like, like I don't think he's at that point now, uh, you know, with injuries and whatnot, that he can play sort of that full 90, you know, on the park, up and down. You know, I, I think he's someone that has clear qualities. And I think we've seen that, you know, he had picked up three assists, you know, in, I think, four Australia Cup games. He's picked up two goals and one assist now in the league. He, he has that ability off the bench to, you know, give a bit of spark, you know, sort of that moment of magic. You know, which I, I think you almost do potentially you know, yeah, you know, expect from a younger player, but yeah, you know, I, I think he's sort of doing that sort of young player off the bench role for him in a way, in that sort of spark off the bench. Yeah, you know, it's it's worked well for them here. You know, got them the winner here at the end of the day. So yeah, I I think it looks like a really solid signing. You know, I think people you know see like a bigger name like Terry Antonis and maybe expected him to you know, be a starter or something like that. And that was sort of the surprise there. But I, I think as a, you know, a sort of backup player to come off the bench and offer you something different off the bench, I think he's a, you know, like a really, really solid player for City. So yeah, and it probably would have worked even better. You know, I think they you know probably made that signing because of, you know, sort of the Asian Cup, sort of balancing those two competitions. But yeah, even in the league now, he's done really well for him. I think you summed up that conversation in two words, basically luxury player exactly what he is nowadays and you know what all power to him he's doing the job quite well move on to Perth and Melbourne Victory talk about stunners there was something in this game as well Eli Adams opening uh, opening off Melbourne Victory was absolutely a thing of beauty Caden just quickly before just before we actually kind of dive into this game you did mention that Tony Popovich said Eli Adams was the best finisher at the club did you yeah in the post-game press conference after the I want to say it was the Melbourne Derby. Yeah, um, yeah, it was the Derby. Yeah, he said that. I think I asked him about it. Was it might have been another young journalist, but I'm going to take credit for it. Um, it was asked about um how how those goals going to come with the absence of Fornaroli, and he basically said, "Well, we've got these young guys. We've got these young guys on the bench that have." 
have now got the opportunity to show what they can do. And we think, and he said, uh, Eli Adams, I think he's one of the best finishers at the club. And I think he said, like, some of the goals that he pulls off in training are unbelievable. Um, and yeah, that goal demonstrated that was an unbelievable first goal to, to make in for your new team and in the A-League as a whole. Yeah, absolutely nice finish. Someone that, there's been a lot of talk around him. There was a period while I was at Brisbane that he looked like he was going to go to Germany to get a trial with a major club. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was that was chasing him, but he's had European interest before. For some reason, just hasn't been able to crack it at A-League level, and half of it's just been, probably hasn't been given that opportunity. Brisbane Roms, I'm shocked. The season that they had that year, they finished 11th and he still couldn't get a run. At least Mama Victory now is being able to step up slowly and slowly into a first team. And hopefully a moment like that's able gonna gonna facilitate him being able to stay at that level, which is absolutely fantastic. Jake. Melbourne Victory. They have won four of their last five games, won two in a row, undefeated this season, best goal difference, best attacking record in the competition as well. And now with the recent rule change as well, well not recent rule change, the rule change that we now know about recently. Most wins in the competition as well, at least equal with Wellington Phoenix. I know it's only kind of early days. We are approaching the halfway point of the season, though. Are Melbourne Victory showing signs of a title contender? Yeah, I, I think you have to say, to be fair. You know, it's it's nearly halfway through the season now, and they haven't lost a game. I, I don't think a side that's, you know, wishy-washy would get that far, to be fair. So, yeah, I, I think this Victory you know, team has a makings of a really, really good side, you know. And it's it's very funny in a way because I, I their team isn't, super dissimilar from the one we saw at the end of last season. And that was the team that finished 11th. So so it, it sort of shows in a way how maybe how unlucky they got last season, you know, in many games. And maybe that luck sort of turned around this season. They've also made some good signings. You know, you know Ryan Teague, for example, I think that's one there. I think a lot of people have sort of really praised him, sort of his impact. But yeah, I, I this victory side, it's it's hilarious in a way, some of the depth they have. Like, I think on the wing, it's insane. They've got three, uh, well, at least former Socceroos in Daniel Arzani, Chris Economides, and Ben Falami. That is like ridiculous, you know. Like what other? And team on top has of that, that? Nishan Falupe is probably yeah. The one that uh, then you've got the, so, yeah, you've got the new guy now. Falupe is probably the uh, sort of the furthest you know in them in terms of you know potentially even getting to that Socceroos level. Like it's it's pretty ridiculous how much depth we got, and yeah, you know, that we sort of off the bench. You know, the two the two young wingers in Falami. You know, it's yeah, you know, like for the past couple of seasons, it's almost been. Like, like I, I feel like people have really talked about it, but like I've just been like, where the hell has Ben Falami gone? Because he went from, yeah, making the Socceroos call up, and you're like, wow, you know, this guy can go far, then just kind of disappears for two seasons. I think maybe the confidence is gone, but he showed, you know, exactly what sort of ability he has off the bench. And then you even have Eli Adams, who I think I said in the group chat, like, honestly, I'd start him next game. I think the confidence he showed, like, when he came off there, like, got that goal, and he was like, no, nope, this is my set piece. I'm running the show here. And I love that. I really, really like that sort of confidence that he brought to the team. And yeah, it's, it's, it is another one that's baffling because he's been playing on the MPL team, you know, for a fair bit for victory, which is just like, wow, like this kid has just been hiding away, you know, and it's, it's not necessarily because he's not good enough. It's because victory got like four really, really good wingers ahead of him. And it's just been unlucky. So yeah, I guess sort of that, you know, Fornaroli leaving now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think yeah, Eli Adams is probably more of a winger than probably a striker, but you know, it, it sort of frees up a a role in that attack for him to come and potentially take a spot. So yeah, I really, really want to see him start the next game because 
confidence is sky high and confidence is so important in this game. You know, uh, yeah, I think Ange talked about it. Yeah, I don't know why I'm bringing up Ange. It's really random, but in that at, at the professional level, there's not a huge load of difference between quality. It's, you know, it's stuff like mentality. It's your belief. You know, these guys are all incredible footballers, but when, when you get that belief, you know, when you get that first A-League goal, it's got an absolute beauty and you're like, wow, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like it's, 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 yeah, you can really go from there. You know, this is your starting point. Now you go. So I'd really want to see, uh, him start that next match. And yeah, this, this victory team, you know, when you've got that much quality, just sitting on your bench, Jacob Grimmer didn't even make the bench for this game. Do you know how insane that is? Like That's this victory nuts. team. Yeah. Again, yeah, probably up there, you know, with a city for best, you know, best squad in the league. So. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a testament to them. I haven't lost the game so far this season. I thought this Perth Glory game would be maybe one where they just find a way to slip up because it's always tough going away to Perth, but they found a way to somehow win that game. Yeah, even, you know, with the late equalizer by, uh, Caleb, uh, Magic Donmi. Shout out to him. I, I, I think I made the shout for him to start, um, I think the last game, but yeah, he, he came off the bench and scored a goal. Good on him. But yeah, so. I really feel for Perth, to be fair. I'm sure we'll go into that a little bit later, but yeah, victory. Yeah, um, what, what, what more can you say about this team? It's not much you can really. Look, on Eli Adams, my apologies. I thought he scored the opening goal. He scored the goal that originally put them ahead to go 2-1. Got my facts mixed up there. My apologies. That is now rectified. But even that point you mentioned about being able to go to Perth, it's it seems like on paper the sort of game that you can slip up as well, mainly because Perth are a side that traditionally are decent at home. And just in general, it's a tough away trip to make a go on the length of the country. It's not an easy thing to do to go behind in that match, get yourself ahead, concede an equalizer so late and still find a way to come away with three points. That's why I wanted to ask that kind of question about the championship team, because the reality is that's a championship mentality. If you're able to get points in a situation like that and maximum points in a situation like that, that's definitely not something that should be discounted. You mentioned Perth as well, and I just mentioned the fact that they are a side that generally do well at home. I've got another point that I kind of want to make that is similar, well, in a similar ilk to the three points I make at the start of the podcast, but I'm going to do it halfway through. This Perth side will struggle to escape even the Oz Cup playoffs if they can't get their home form in order. Kaden, I'll put it to you. Where do you see things going wrong at Perth so far? Because the reality is they've got arguably one of the best strikers in the competition, Adam Taggart. They've got a good... Uh, base level of young players. Where, where's this gone wrong for them, really? I've got no idea, really. I think, I think it's probably their defense is probably the weakest part of their team. Um, they've got, I mean, like Mustafa Amini, he's a good player in their midfield. Giovanni Colley, another okay player. And then they've got Daniel Benny and Bruce Kamau. Kamau can not get sent off 10 seconds inside of starting a half of football, then that'd be good for their future performances, which, I mean, just on that red card, that was a nuts dive to make when you're already on a yellow card. But, um, it was an insane red card, and I think, obviously, it changed the game and made them have to make a lot of defensive substitutions, which just led to the eventual capitulation of their defence. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as for making out the Oz Cup playoffs, I mean, if they don't, that it, it's not a good look for Perth. I mean, it's a cl- historic club. It's the oldest 
A-League club in the competition there, which used to have a really big fan base, so they can't keep going this way. Um, but I do have faith in Alan Stadjic. I think he can turn it around. I think he just needs a bit of time. They've got, I mean, Kolokovsky, I thought he played really well um, last two nights ago. So, uh, no, last night. It was last night, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I thought he played really well. So, I mean, they just need to keep working on their performances, really. There's, I mean, yeah, I've got no idea. I kind of said nothing then, but I've got no idea what they need to do to improve. It's just a, I mean, they're not, I'll say this, they're not an 11th place squad, I don't think. I'll be interested to see Jake and you, Cody, your opinions on that. I don't think they're a squad that deserves to be 11th on the ladder. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I'd say they're, like, I'd say, you know, if you're looking at all 12 teams, they're probably in the lower echelon, but sort of at the top of that lower echelon, if that makes sense. So maybe like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of pulling numbers out of my house here, but like the eighth best squad, for example, you know, I, I, I don't yeah. think they're the weakest squad in the league. I don't think they, you know, especially on depth, they've got a lot of depth and a lot of really solid players, but yeah, maybe they just don't have, I'd say apart from Adam Taggart, who else is a star player or at least like a good proven A-League sort of player that can essentially win you a game. I think that's been the thing with Perth. They just don't, necessarily have that apart from Adam Taggart and it's hard to just rely on one player do that week in week out because he's been scoring for them yeah no it's it's a weird situation personally I probably wouldn't have rated this squad overly highly at the start of the season but Stagic is a coach that generally can get the best out of his players no matter what he's got and as much as his first season at Mariners didn't go well there were still signs that they were going to build right now I don't know if I 100% see those signs I think the most thing that frustrated me the most about Perth in this game. It was literally the last 10, 15 seconds where you've gone, you've only just gone down. You've got a chance to kind of go forward, at least throw the kitchen sink, see if you can get rescue a point and got the ball, what, maybe 30, 40 meters from goal and you decide to turn and pass it backwards and then pass sideways. I don't know what that was about, but I don't know. Personally, if I'm in that position, I'm getting the ball in the box as soon as possible. And I'm sure that's something Stagia would have been frustrated with as well because he's not someone that's going to sit there, rest on his laurels and play possession football. He's in a situation like that. I'm sure he'd want to be the ball to be progressed and be able to get into the box. So I believe it was a meanie that kind of made that choice to kind of pass it back. I do apologize if I got that incorrect. It was last night. I yeah. didn't write who down who did that. Yep, meanie, perfect. It was a meanie. Yeah, just a really, really, I won't say stupid decision, but a really weird choice to make in that moment, especially considering the context of the game. I'll leave the chat about that match at that point. We'll go on to the last match to talk about and it was the first one that was played, actually. Adelaide and Wellington. Now, Wellington, I don't know if you'd call it an overly massive dip in form. They have lost to Sydney FC, draw with Adelaide. There was two wins before that. But um, two games that they have technically had to travel away from home. And it is those moments that I guess do kind of define their season in a way. Because, obviously, Wellington, if they're a team that can travel well, they'll do well. If they're a team that doesn't travel well, we don't really know where they're going to end up. But I guess I'll put it to you, Caden, first. It is a definitely a young side still at Wellington. Are you seeing signs that maybe they are starting to be figured out a little bit and that pressure is being put on a side that maybe doesn't have the experience to navigate a situation like this? Yeah, for sure. There, I think a lot of teams are starting to figure out now that if you can press them really high, they're going to struggle playing out and they, and they're not a team that will 
kind of adapting Dolong. They want to stay playing their way and they want to do that no matter what. I think teams, yeah, are starting to figure that out. But I think it's also not a bad thing for them to do. They're focused on playing their way. I think I said this last week on the show. I think that's a good method of really getting these young younger players in their squad that they have familiar with the play style. Um, as you said, they've only lost one and drew one in their last few games, so it's not annexations yet, I don't think. Um, it was just a pretty good performance from Adelaide, I think, to get that point um, in the draw. I think it, it was pretty much, again, the Irukunda show for that game. Yeah, I think we're saying that more often than not at this point, Irukunda. Obviously, fantastic player. Stay on Wellington for a bit. Jake, I'll put this to you. Costa Barbarisas. This season, a little bit of a career turnaround, I guess. The end of his Sydney SC career probably wasn't the most exciting. Even the start of his Wellington Phoenix career probably wasn't the most exciting either. But this season, 11 matches, 6 goals, 3 assists. For someone that I personally thought was going to be kind of a backup to some of the younger players coming through, my God, he's been good this season, hasn't he? I think that's arguably maybe the most unexpected thing this season for me. Like a 33-year-old, Costa Barbarusis, and this is someone that relies on this, that pace to have a resurgence. Like, what's like, like I, I think after the first couple of rounds, I'm like, okay, he's having a couple of good, good little games here, but sort of little tail off, you know, especially with the way that Wellington play. They, they, yeah, they, they don't create a lot of chances, you know, for their attackers. So it's been so impressive for him to get six goals and three assists in 11 games. That is a really, really, really good return. You know, the, the, this is like prime victory Costa Barbarusis sort of stats here. So, Really impressive, and I think that he's been very, very key for you know Wellington. You know, they, he grabbed their two goals this game, and he's consistently been sort of you know an outlet for them, especially since Oscar Zavada has been out. So yeah, it's just been very I don't know unexpected. Like like what the like like obviously he's an exceptional player. You know, he's been had a great career, but you don't expect yeah you know, like a yeah he's probably had three relatively disappointing seasons. You know, let's say before this one to you know turn it around now at all stages. So. Fair play to him, but I just want to talk on sort of Wellington in general because I would say, in a way, it was a disappointing performance. You know, I think you're looking seven big chances created for Adelaide, one for Wellington. That's never a good look. However, I would say, in a way, they, you know, I think we talked about with victory in terms of getting results in, you know, result in games where it's, you know, it's tight and it can easily go your, uh, not your way. And I think there was another one there where, you know, to pick up a draw here, I think is really, really important. Um, you know, against a, you know, a side like Adelaide that, you know, on their day can be a really, really good team. So I think it's, you know, maybe the, you know, the signs of the makings of a really solid team that, yeah, is, is going to consistently push this season. You know, they don't play the most attractive football on earth. You know, they're very defensive. But, you know, I, I think, you know, when you've got someone like Alex Paulson again, you know, he made a ridiculous save. I think it was Ben Halloran header or a volley. I forgot it was, but it was a ridiculous save and just, you know, you concede seven big chances, but when you have, you know, like a defense and your know, goalkeeper like Alex Paulson, I guess they can bail you out for now. But does it persist over the season? Who knows? They've consistently shown it so far to where it's like, okay, it's not an anomaly. You know, they've consistently doing this, but yeah, I guess we'll sort of have to see. Switch over to Adelaide. Caden, I'll put it to you first. Adelaide, 3.3 XG, 28 shots. Only seven of them were actually outside the box. A lot of chances in and around the penalty area and even closer to goal. Now, still only able to find the back of the net twice. 
it's been a really weird period for Adelaide. They have been on a bit of a weird decline. It's the first time, or only second time in their last what, six games that they were able to pick up points as well. It's for someone, for a, sorry, for a team that some of us at FPF were saying could be a grand final contender, albeit after three rounds and maybe a bit prematurely, sorry, Jack. But for a team that started off the season so well in that regard, to kind of fall apart like this, and I know Christian did mention a few times he could foresee this coming from Adelaide when push comes to shove simply due to the nature that it is an extremely young team. And look, if you look at the context of this game, red card going down to 10 men obviously doesn't help you in any situation either. But is that is I won't say it's a warning sign for Adelaide because I think we're past the point that, okay, yeah, they might be in a bit of strife, but I guess this game, does that just sum up where the issues are for Adelaide at the moment where... You know, they are able to create a lot of chances, but something's going wrong and trying to finish them off. Yeah, I think this game kind of showed how much they're missing Craig Goodwin. Just someone who can just provide that perfect pass or perfect shot just to get them out of trouble. Um, they're, they're overly relying on Nesta so much, which I'm not sure is the best idea to do that for a 17 year old player. They, um, Often uh, just like getting kiddos, often just getting the ball left back, just doing a diagonal ball to him and just seeing what happens, um, which I think is not the best way to play when you want to create good chances. But yeah, I think they're a young side and it's just going to be tough. I think they're going to have to get through the season. They're definitely... Not a grand final team. I'm not sure what Jack was thinking there, but um, they're definitely not. <laughs> poor but, Jack. Poor Jack, but not so much. I don't think they're a grand final team, but um, yeah, I think definitely top six. They they should be getting the finals, and I think overall season length they'll start to get a bit more luck on their way, and they'll start to finish these chances because they're as you said, they're. I mean. 28 shots and seven on target, seven big chances. So they're getting in the good spaces. They just need to get that final bit of luck to get it over the line. Um, Jake, Hiroshi Ibasuki, someone who maybe we haven't seen the best of this season, was able to kind of step up in this game, get a double. I'm not going to go too much into what it means for him. It's like, oh, yeah, is he going to be this really good player for Adelaide? Because in my opinion, I think he is a little bit past it, but in moments like this, how important is it that when you do have a young side around you, you're not just your senior players, but your visa senior players are stepping up in moments like this? Yeah, I think that's been a consistent narrative of Adelaide this season in terms of they've got a lot of you know talented young players and they have these experienced players that are not necessarily amazing um, and you're sort of hoping for them to step up and we've seen that at times with Zach Clough and we've seen that in recent weeks with uh, Hiroshi Bisugi. I think it's really been that sort of 4-4-2 four, 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 sort of change that uh, Carl Viet's made that's I think really sort of helped Hiroshi Bisugi in a way sort of playing alongside it's been Luka Jovanovic in many cases sort of yeah him being that second striker Ibasuki just being that target man and he's looked really good you know he's, he's grabbed three goals and I think consistently yeah looks like a really really good target man for them you know which uh it's interesting because yeah we have you know like whenever he's uh, you know, played other games this season just haven't really seen that he just looked very past it but yeah I think you know it's, it, maybe that's another one there that's kind of surprised me in a way to be fair 
you know, someone that's, yeah, get a little bit older. But yes, I think, you know, it's in a way improved you know, in these past couple games. So yeah, I, 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 I do wonder though, because I think Carl has sort of talked about potentially sort of changing that up. Like it's sort of a momentary sort of change. He's made that sort of system and formation to sort of rest, you know, the likes of Ben Halloran and Nesta, obviously Nesta started this one, but um, sort of, you know, changing it up, you know, with the two strikers, you know, whether or not he persists with that, I don't know. And then, you know, if he does, for example, you know, consistently go back to that sort of, you know, one, only one striker, it's between him and Jovanovic. I'd say at this point, he probably has the sort of pecking, you know, pecking order, I guess, sort of ahead of Jovanovic on his form. But yeah, I wonder sort of how he then goes back to that sort of one striker formation as historically, he hasn't probably been the best sort of playing like that, you know, especially without someone like Craig Goodwin sort of feeding him, you know, um, you know, sort of crosses into the air. Because I think we saw with Nesta this game, um, you know, he created a goal for him, but the 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 it's you you look at the statistics and you'll see, for example, Nesta put in this many crosses. But the thing is they're they're not the same as Craig Goodwin's crosses. You know, Craig Goodwin would loft them in, you know, with um you know some great swirl and straight onto the head. Whereas Nesta is someone that very much so drills the ball in. Which is is not necessarily better or worse. However, I don't think it suits someone like Ibasuki, who's very tall and probably not as sort of mobile and agile to sort of get to those those balls sort of fizzed across the goal. So I think that's sort of an adjustment there that needs to be made. But yeah, like I think we sort of mentioned it before. But Nestor and Kunda, yeah, what a performance from him as well. You know, like looking here, seven key passes, three big chances created. Obviously, grabbed the assist as well. Um, seven out of nine dribbles completed. That is utterly ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a. We all know Nestor's ability. We know what he can do. However, it's finding that consistently. Um, you know, because we've seen some games he's maybe gone missing, not had the biggest impact. However, yeah, that was definitely not the case in this game. He was magnificent. So yeah, I think it's sort of yeah him. You know, this sort of half half year he has before he does make that move over. Yeah. In, you know, sort of getting the most out of these consistent minutes, you know, on the A League, as yeah, I guess we don't know what's going to happen next. You know, if he, for example, goes to the Bayern, is he going to be someone that sort of you know primarily you know, stays the first team, for example, but trains and isn't going to get those sort of consistent minutes? Because this is the time when he can get that and he can prove, you know, I guess to a Bayern, be like, hey, you know, I'm ready right now because he has the attributes for it. Like simply enough, you know, I think as a player off the bench, you know, who has the same sort of pace, power? skill you know ability to beat a player like the name i don't know it's 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 truly baffling the amount of quality he has it's it's like you wonder how he doesn't score every single game because simply he just has the ability to so it's just yeah finding that way to do that as we saw that today however our games maybe we haven't yeah look he is genuinely a nuts footballer probably even easily at least since i've become more an adult and aware of what's going on in football the most talented player I've seen come on these shores. So, look, hopefully he can reach those heights in this game. But for now, hopefully Adelaide can get the best out of him and provide him a good platform to, you never know, come close to winning something or have somewhat of a successful season here while we do still have him. That's all we have in terms of A-League men's action. But this is the last time we'll be on record before the Socceroos kick off their Asian Cup campaign. At the time of recording, it was this morning, Sunday morning, that we beat Bahrain 2-0 in a friendly and own goal for the first goal, uh, set up by Craig Goodwin, then Craig Goodwin set up Mitch Duke's second. So, Caden, okay, I'll start with you first. I guess going into this tournament, look, a lot of people are saying we should be in and amongst favourites. A lot of people are saying we definitely should be 
going to the semi-finals, where do you see the Socceroos going into this tournament in terms of what the minimum expectation is and where you can see them going? I think the minimum expectations should be semi-finals. They should, I mean, they've got the talent to get that far, I think, and that's what they should be aiming for. The finals and winning the thing, I think, is going to be tough because it will most likely they'll be coming up against South Korea in the final if they do make it that far. And South Korea and Japan are the two best teams in Asia, I think. And they've got, I mean, a lot of amazing players playing in the top, top leagues around the world. So I think if we make semifinals and do well in the semifinal, which, I mean, most likely we would face Japan in the semifinal, if we can do all right there and not look overly terrible, I think that should be a positive Asian Cup that they should be happy with. Okay, with you, Caden, because if everything goes the way it should be, we face Saudi Arabia in the quarterfinal. Is that a game you'd be confident in? I think so. I'm pretty sure Saudi Arabia lost in a friendly last night as well, and I don't think they've looked they they beat Argentina in the World Cup, but I still don't think they're that great. I think Australia should be capable of beating beating them. So, yeah, I think they should feel comfortable facing Saudi Arabia if they play the way that we all know they can. And I think it will be up to Graham Arnold as well to make some tough decisions in his starting 11s. Yeah, look, I envy being Graham Arnold's position, even all the talk around his selections. Alex Robertson, someone that has been given a lot of attention for his, I guess, exclusion from the squad, but based on what Arnold said in his last presser, it looks like he's still in regular contact with Robertson. Robertson is still fully committed to the national team. Maybe as a 20-year-old having a tantrum, and it's something that we shouldn't really read too much into. Jake, I'll put it to you about our group, because... Syria, Uzbekistan, India, on paper, that should be a really easy group, but it's definitely not going to be, is it? It it always does pan out that way. We are like, yeah, yeah, we, we should be flying for this group, but I don't know. It's just, it's just the magic of the Asian Cup, I guess. I don't know. It's just always that it ends up being harder than you'd expect it to be. And I think that's ultimately because, yeah, maybe, you know, Asian teams, um, you know, aren't maybe publicized as much as, you know, European or, you know, South American. Now, I think we saw, for example, I think it was something trending on Twitter where it's like, we sort of had all those three dragons and you have the, the AFC Cup and they're saying, oh, look how bad it is. But, you know, I think people you know, retorted well saying, you know, a lot of these Asian teams have been some of the best performing teams, you know, in all the world. And I think we should really appreciate that in the sense that, you know, we are a part of a really growing sort of confederation that's consistently getting better and better. And we should respect that as in, look, you know, maybe you don't know any players from you know these teams for example but you know they're, they're really good teams that have you know if you, you know, maybe look at some of you know some of the games they've won for example i was looking at bahrain you know it was actually pretty impressive seeing some of their results against other teams so i was like oh you know maybe the two nil in that perspective you know actually isn't too bad a result you know so yeah i i think it's it's a look ultimately if australia don't get out of the group it is a bit of a travesty you know whether you like it or not yeah you know, they should be able to get out of the group however it's not going to be a you know a walk in the park. And then, you know, you get out of the group, but then you have a Saudi Arabia, you have a Japan, and then you have a South Korea. It's like, you know, these are yeah, you know, teams that you know people should know. You know, they they've proven that on the on the global stage, they are great teams. So yeah, it's a it's 
I don't know. I, I'm 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 not necessarily exactly sure what to expect beyond the group. I, I do think Australia should you know make it through the group, but beyond there, it's it's simply just you know like I think in the last Asian Cup, you know, it was on a I think it was a Milos Dejanek sort of mispass, or I think it was the one before. No, 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 that was the last one. Where yeah, sim- just a simple error like that, and you're out of the group. That that's just this sort of you know the the you know knockout tournament. That's how it works. So it's things going right, playing good football. You know, I think the Australia have a good squad, but on the, yeah, I think someone like Alex Robertson, I'm I'm really baffling him not being selected for that. You know, I, I get you know maybe they want him in for the um you know the for Olympic, Olympic qualification, but. I, I personally think you prioritize that. You know, I, I, I get it for maybe someone like Sokati. You know, he'd probably, you know, I think maybe he should be getting more minutes, but realistically, he'd probably be a backup. He wouldn't be playing. However, I think that someone like Alex Robertson, I really think he brings something we don't currently have in this Aussie team. It's, it's you know, as a, just a plain out and out number 10. You know, if they do play him there, he can't play otherwise, but I'd, I'd probably play him there. And I think he offers something different. You know, Conor Metcalf, for example, I, 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 I you know, I like him as a loser player, but I don't think he's that sort of same number 10 type of player that can create chances against a team that's maybe sitting back more and, uh, yeah, allowing you to sort of create. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the first game kicks off, yeah, right, right in Unite round, which is going to be, it's going to be great, actually. It's, it is an interesting group and it's one that, look, India out of the four, out of the pot four teams are probably going to be arguably the best quality that comes out of that. Syria were always having a close game with, and Uzbekistan, a side that's just been on this really rapid rise, at least at youth level, and we had to go through penalties to beat him in the last Asian Cup as well, so definitely not one to underestimate. It's the sort of group that we could, you could almost see us picking nine points up in, but our goal difference is like plus three or plus four, like every game's really close, but we've got the ability to win every game as well, and even once we get out of that, I think the round of 16 is an opportunity that we could be playing China, so... This Asian Cup really is not going to be easy for us. I think it's just fortunate that we're going into it, I guess, in somewhat good confidence. You know, we come off the back of a good World Cup last year, at least a calendar year. Maybe not results-wise for a lot of games, but we did have a lot of really good performances. I think the Ecuador series, we played really, really well. Argentina, we played well. England, we played well. As much as we lost to Argentina, England, and one of those Ecuador games, we still did ourselves justice even the Mexico game we probably should have won it was a late capitulation that was probably some of the worst football we've played this calendar year but we showed a lot in that game that we can compete with the best teams in the world so it's a matter of taking that performance and applying it to an Asian Cup that unfortunately we are playing very very different styles of team in which doesn't help but that's another conversation in itself that is all we have time for today I'm just going to get a quick word from both of you. Obviously, after this podcast goes up, well, not when this podcast goes up, the Adelaide MacArthur game will have played. That pl- happens after we're recording this. Jake, when this podcast goes up, what will the score be? Wow. Okay. I'm going to say. Loaded question. I'm going to go 3 1 Adelaide. Caden? I'm going to go 2 1 Adelaide. I'm going to go 4-2 Adelaide. I think MacArthur might run out of legs a little bit and it'll be a bit of a goal affair, but we'll see if we either look really, really smart or if MacArthur make us look really, really stupid by the time this goes up. That is all we have time for today. My name is Cody Ojeda. I've been your host today. Hope you've all enjoyed it and you will be able to enjoy the beautiful tones of Christian Marchetti when he does make his return for the next 
Front Page Football Podcast. In the meantime, check our work out at frontpagefootball.net and on all our social platforms. Front PG Football on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Front Page Football, TikTok. Front Page Football on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, Jake, Caden, you got anything you want to say before we go? Go the Socceroos. <laughs> yeah, go Socceroos. Hopefully we can win the Asian Cup. And yeah, no, thanks for having me on the show again. Oh, good. Oh, good. Small steps. Hopefully we at least win that first game against India and hopefully it sets us up for a good run. That's all we have time for. Hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you in the next one.